Hi, welcome to the Metal Detecting Show, episode number 21. My name is Kieran, and this week I continue my series about the history of coins. We have our regular tech timeout where this week I chat about when to detect and of course, some updates from my adventures in metal detecting. So let's get on with the show. Hey, thank you for listening. We're at episode 21. I hope you enjoyed the show this week. If you want to give me feedback or interact with the show, please reach out to me on Twitter at Detecting The or Instagram at The Metal Detecting Podcast. Or if you want to pop me an email to Kieran at TheMetalDetectingShow.com. If you like this content, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. So this week's adventures in metal detecting didn't result in many earth-shattering finds. Day one was a prospecting day on a beach that I knew was very unlikely to reveal anything astounding. But previously, this beach produced a few milliballs for me, which is always good, but this time, nothing. Quite a few signals rang up as a solid 10 or 11 on the equinox. As any Knox user knows, you gotta dig those 10 and 11s, as they are the same signal gold rings give off. But alas, I finished day one with a bag of cans. Day two was an impromptu day at the beach with the kids where I managed to slip away for a few hours detecting, bringing in the beach hunter standard of a couple of spendables and nothing out of the ordinary. On this trip, I tried out version one of my 3D printed 90 degree handle for my beach scoop, utilizing a small piece of bicycle handlebar. It worked fine till it broke as expected, but now I know where to strengthen for version two. I'll pop the 3D file on the website if people have access to a 3D printer and want to try it out. All you need to add is to grind off the handle piece of an old bicycle handlebar for a comfortable 90 degree handle on your beach scoop. Also this week I started to produce some show stickers and if you'd like a sticker just pop me an email with your address and I'll send you out some. However, nothing in this world comes for free. I will ask that you subscribe to the show in return. In episode 19, I talked about the history of coins part 1, where I discussed how coins were invented in the Lydia region of Asia Minor approximately 630 BC. We discussed how the invention of coins went from electrum coins produced in Lydia to the Athenian owl from the Greek city of Athens. This week I want to take the journey from Greece to Rome, and that starts again in Athens with the owl. The owl coin from Athens became so widespread and important to Greek culture that it is still seen today on the Euro coin for Greece. The Athenian coinage became so widespread that it was used as far as Africa, but it was the adoption by other Athenian cities such as Corinth that paved the way for the Greek currency to spread like wildfire to the regions of Italy and France. Up to now, all coinage represented animals on the obverse and a punch of purity on the reverse, and this continued till Alexander the Great, who is attributed with being the first person to personalize their coins, with, in this case, Alexander inscribed alongside the head of Heracles on the obverse, and Zeus holding an eagle on the reverse. This personalization is the first time the coinage moved from state financing to personal financing of the currency in 325 to 320 BC. I suppose if Alexander is going to pay for it, he might as well stick his name on it. Up to now, all currency was produced in Greece, with Rome adopting the same coinage, but it was only a matter of time before Rome started to produce its own coins, and at the end of the 3rd century BC, Rome started to produce the denarius, and again with more personalization with Roma inscribed on the obverse, 
and as time passed, this personalization became more prominent and sometimes on the whim of the minter. In one such case, the minter, in an effort to raise the family's profile, produced a number of coins that depicted the minter's great uncle, who was responsible for building an aqueduct into Rome. This personalization continued till the Roman Republic became an empire. Bum, 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 bum. With coinage being standardized with the head of the emperor on the obverse and the reverse normally reserved for some image to indicate a great deed or building produced by the emperor. The addition of the emperor's head on the obverse quickly became the standard and tradition. This tradition signifies a meeting of personalization and politicization of coinage that continues today, almost 2,200 years later, where in the UK we still have Queen Elizabeth II on the obverse and in the US we still have the president on the obverse. Back to Rome, with the empire on the march, it was inevitable that Roman coinage spread across Europe with the culmination in conquering of Britannia by Claudius and the Romans in 43 AD. Although Britannia already had Celtic coinage at this time, which I will cover later, it was the completion of this conquering by Vespasian in 69 AD, resulting in Britannia being the northmost point of the Roman Empire. The planned conquest of Scotland was never achieved and in 122 AD, Hadrian ordered a wall to be built that would separate Roman territory from the aggressive tribes to the north. Large sections of the Roman wall still exist and are a popular attraction in Northern England. Britannia settled into its role as a backwater province of the vast empire. In 287, Marcus Aurelius, the commander of the Roman fleet, proclaimed himself emperor and ruled Britannia as a separate empire until his murder by Electus in 293. Electus ruled Britannia until his defeat by Constantius Chlorus in 296. Chlorus' son, Constantine, was proclaimed emperor by his troops at Ibaracum, which is modern York, in 306. By the end of the 4th century, Rome was facing serious challenges and the emperor of the western provinces proved incapable of defending his empire. In AD 410, Honorus ordered troops withdrawn from Britannia and it ceased to be a province of the Roman Empire. However, after the Claudian invasion, Roman coins circulated wildly in Britannia and a few official coins may have been issued by traveling mints during the reign of Antonius Pius. Many imitations of official Roman coins were minted in Britannia and seemed to have circulated alongside the imported official issues. After his revolt, Marcus Aurelius opened mints in Colchester and London and a significant number of bronze coins of numerous types were produced. Marcus Aurelius's London Mint marked the first time coins were known to have been struck in that city. When the breakaway empire was defeated and restored to Roman control, the London Mint was allowed to continue production of official coinage. The coins issued there can be recognized by the presence of the London Mint mark in the reverse exarg, which is a small space or inscription below the principal emblem on the coin or medal, usually on the reverse side. These mint marks usually take the form PLON, PLN or LON. Constantine the Great ordered the London Mint closed in 325, and while it may have been reopened briefly in the 380s, this decision marked the effective end of the official Roman coinage in Britannia. Small bronze copies of Roman coins were minted into the 5th century to meet the commercial needs of the British population. Next week we continue the history of coins where I discuss Celtic, not Celtic, Celtic coins, but up next is this week's Tech Time Out. Time for this week's Tech Time Out! 
this week i want to discuss when to detect i know previously i talked about crop rotation and i went fairly heavily into that so i won't cover that this time but perusing the forums and reddit this week i see a number of questions repeated such as is it safe to hunt in a thunderstorm is it better to hunt when the ground is dry or wet and on and on so let's start at the beginning if there was a beginning when you shouldn't detect Firstly, I have said previously, and it is no harm to mention it again, do not hunt in a thunderstorm. What you are essentially doing is waving a lightning rod about, just asking for trouble, so don't do it. Do not detect in a field if a farmer has just put down seed. This is one way of getting your permission revoked. Do not detect in a lawn that has just been manicured. There's nothing saying you can't with the owner's permission, but if you do, remember, it is very hard to leave no trace in a lawn that is manicured to an inch of its life and very easy for the owner to see a messed up lawn and even though you both know that the lawn will recover it will leave a bad taste in the owner's mouth guaranteed don't dig in a drought there is not enough moisture for the ground to recover from the damage quickly resulting in dead sods of lawn showing up in a few days don't detect at night on your own unless you know the area and people intimately. We have all heard countless stories of metal detectors carrying out a night hunt on a beach only to get hammered by a group of drunken louts who think it's great sport to antagonise someone who is looking to be left alone. So there are a lot of times you shouldn't detect. But when can you detect or when is the best time to detect? And although I have said it previously, not to detect during a thunderstorm, Weather is a major player in the decision when to detect. For example, did you know your detector performs better on pasture when the ground is wet just after a shower? Not only do iffy signals come in clearer, the ground is more manageable to dig. If you are like me and like the beach detect, hitting a beach after a storm is probably the best time to detect. Now, that depends on whether the storm has removed sand from the beach or has deposited sand on the beach. I have gone to the beach the morning after a storm to find cuts in the sand several feet deep where there used to be golden sand. These cuts are where you will see all those guys on YouTube pulling out gold ring after gold ring. Don't forget to consider the tides. It's very seldom that there is an advantage gained in searching at high tide. Consider how the weather will affect your ability to detect. Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Will the ground be too hard? How quickly will the weather sap your energy? People, consider people, whether we are talking about fields or beaches, we want to go to places that there were people and lots of them at some stage, but do we want them to be present when we are detecting? I'm normally okay with people about, but the best time to detect is when everyone has gone home from the park or beach. The last thing you want is a stream of kids following you around like you were the Pied Piper of childminding while their parents watch on with pleasure as someone else entertains their progeny for them. I'm speaking from recent personal experience here. When to detect is down to personal choices, but always consider your personal safety first. Your advantage gained or lost by detecting at certain times and whether you are setting yourself up for success. And that's it for this week's Tech Time Out. If you want me to dig deeper into any topic, just hit me up on the socials and I will make sure to discuss it. Okay, I hope you like this episode of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. I want to thank the website WNCCoins.com for which I have quoted heavily from and drawn a lot of my information for this week's topic. If you like this content, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And if you feel like taking your appreciation to the next level, 
feel free to leave me a positive review on any podcast directory of your choice. Check out our website, www.themetaltechnicshow.com for this episode's show notes. Check out our Patreon page if you want to help the podcast stay alive or just want to buy me a coffee. Just search for The Metal Detecting Show. The link will be in the show notes. Once again, I hope you enjoyed this episode and we will chat to you all again next week. Get out there and happy hunting. Happy hunting.